What's up, everyone? This is episode 212 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, I hope everyone out there has had a great week so far. I want to thank everyone that's tuned in for last week's conversation and commented on that or shared the link. I love sharing these conversations with the collecting world and anything you can do to help that, as always, is much appreciated. And speaking of conversations, I've got another one to share with you today. You might remember Nick coming on the show in the past and talking about his typeset binder, or maybe his Instagram account where he uh, slightly embellishes stories for 1970s cards. Well, um, he's got another project he's been working on. We chatted about it recently, and I'm excited to be able to share that with you today. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Before I get there, though, I've got some mail I want to talk about. Three cards this week, all Pacers and all 2000s players. And the first one cost me $1.61 shipped via eBay standard envelope program. It was a 2003-2004 Bowman Signature Edition foil parallel of Ron Artest numbered 61 of 125. And yes, believe it or not, there was actually a parallel just called foil. But it's a really nice looking card for what it is. And I, I bought this for a couple reasons. I mean, I already mentioned it looks great. So the first being just aesthetics, right? But then also, um, I was sick all last week and I wanted some mail. And I've said it on here before. I'll confess it again. There's a part of me that just likes that little dopamine rush of getting something in the mail, even, you know, regardless if I'm sick or not, right? And that can get expensive if you're just buying cards to buy cards or just to get that rush. So Whenever I get that urge, I try to pick up a 2 or $3 numbered card from either eBay or ComC to add to my Pacers numbered binder. And lately, I've been focusing on stuff from my favorite era, the 2000s. So uh, that one fit in my Ron Artest pages. So very happy with that one. The next two cards I want to talk about, while they are 2000s Pacers, they were not priced in the standard envelope range. I wish they were. But the first one was a Jermaine O'Neal in the name nameplate card from the new Leaf product called 2022 in the game used. And it was the letter O, so first letter, right? I like that. I've talked some about Leaf stuff before. A lot of it's hit or miss. A lot of the designs just aren't always that great, but um, I like the patches, right? Like I have a, a Tim Duncan Finals uh, trophy patch that I've talked about before. The card is hideous. The patch is amazing, right? So, um, I feel like, though, they did a pretty good job with these nameplate cards. They work better without um, having to have the pictures on there. So it, it, it's just something that works a lot better for Leaf. And uh, so I was able to get this letter O. And I have some clues about this particular Jermaine O'Neal jersey. I'm not 100% sure what game it's from yet. I don't even technically know the year for sure. But I've been able to narrow things down a little bit. I think I know. And once more pieces find their way to eBay... I should be able to confirm whether or not my suspicions are correct. And that's the great thing about these 2000s pinstriped Pacers jerseys. It's just a little easier to figure out what games they were from because the patches aren't always in the same spots relative to the pinstripes. No two jerseys are exactly alike. So that's what I like about it. Okay, my third piece of mail is coincidentally another 
letter O patch of Jermaine O'Neal. So what are the odds that these things were listed uh, by different sellers around the same time? And they actually ended about an hour apart. So this one was from 2007, 2008 SP game used. And uh, it's not the first time that I've seen this card. In fact, it, it showed up on someone, uh, someone in the hobbies, Instagram account recently, I guess they found it at a show. So when this thing showed up, I was, um, you know, obviously I wanted it, right? This is a really cool card. So I asked them, hey, is that for sale? They said they didn't know yet, which is fine. I understand that. Not everything's going to be for sale immediately. People have to decide if they want to sell it. Uh, but he said he'd let me know because he knew I collected Pacers. Now, what I found is it, when people say stuff like that, the odds of it actually happening are slim to none. And I don't think it was anything malicious on his part. You know, I don't think people are trying to be dishonest when they say this. I think they just forget. And I can speak from experience because uh, I've told people, yeah, you know, if I ever move that or yeah, you know, if I'm ever thinking of getting rid of that, I'll let you know. But then I I would go to find that person and and I just don't remember who it is. There's a lot of collectors out there. So um, we had that conversation and um, I didn't really hear from him again. And then... I guess the card showed up on a Facebook group as being for sale, but there was no price listed. And I barely checked Facebook, so I didn't see it, but someone sent me the screenshot. So I reached out to him again. I said, oh, you know, hey, it looks like this is for sale now. Do you have a price? And he more or less just said that he was uh, seeing what offers he could get. So he was fishing, right? But he told me I was welcome to make an offer. So I made what I thought was a fair offer And uh, I just didn't get a response after that, even though we'd been having messages back and forth. So it's not like it wasn't seen or it just got caught up somewhere. I just didn't get a response. So a little later on, the card shows up for auction on eBay and uh, I won, right? And it looks like after fees, the seller probably made either a little bit less or right at what I offered. So um, that was a little bit irritating to me because even though, yeah, I did get the card, like we could have just had this transaction in the first place, had conversation been allowed to continue. But anyway, I don't want to just come on here and complain. I got the card. Um, and aside from being a little bit obsessed with nameplate cards, if you haven't you know, figured that out already, this letter stood out to me because it was a silver letter patch on a blue jersey, on a navy jersey. And before I saw the confirmation on the back of the card, I knew that this was from an all-star game. And the back doesn't specifically state which one, but um, just by the style of jersey, I I can tell it's the 2007 game. And Upper Deck had used a lot of those patches in an all-star specific set, but it looks like they saved some of the nameplates for this letter set. I've seen some others like that as well. I know Ray Allen's cards have these all-star letters in them. So either way, you know, it, it was a process, but I landed this one. It makes for a pretty cool little piece of Pacers history. And I hope to be able to share that with you on my social media sometime this week, if I haven't done so already. All right, before I move into today's conversation, some of you have asked me for ways that you can help support this show. Well, the easiest way is just my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. So to access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com right? Just the name of the podcast, waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click the eBay logo, shop as planned. So whatever you're going to buy, uh, just click my link first and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's 
waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo. And now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so joining me today is someone that was on this show back in September of 2021. And the main thing we discussed was kind of his pandemic project, which was a pre-1990 typeset binder. And if you missed that one, it's episode 132. You might want to bookmark that for later. Well, it looks like that project has grown into something even bigger, which I'm excited about. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So I felt like it was time to bring him back on to talk about it. Nick, welcome back. How's it going, man? Going well. Thanks for having me back. Just trying to stay dry out here in soggy California. Yeah, well, um, we could probably use a little bit of that rain here in Florida, but uh, I don't want to wish for too much. We have our time of the year as well. So like I said earlier, the last time we chatted, it, it was September of 2021, which I didn't realize it had been that long. Um, and obviously a lot has happened in the hobby. That was the era where everything was still kind of booming, although stuff was starting to come down a little bit by then. But every type of card at one point or another had its own moment in the spotlight. So I'm curious to hear about your collecting journey since that time. What type of stuff have you been chasing? What have you gone through? What's been going on in your collecting world? Yeah, well, I wasn't too affected by the uh, sort of basketball card market collapse, luckily, because I'm not chasing too many sort of high grade modern cards. I'm chasing a lot of generally older cards, as we'll get into later. And uh, one of the projects that I've been working on was trying to fill out my 75th anniversary uh, basketball set. So my goal was to get a rookie card or autograph card of every single one of the players in that collection. I think last time we talked, I had less than half of them. At this point, I now have um, almost 60 autographs, about 15 rookies, and there's just actually three cards remaining, which is uh, George Mike and Wilt and Bill Russell. So uh, yeah. I'll say that my my budget sort of maxes out at $100 per card. Otherwise, I tend to just, uh, you know, um, burn through my paycheck. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's probably not a lot of people looking to get rid of one of those cards for under $100 who are listening, but uh, I'm on the lookout. <laughs> I, I will say one of my 72 wilts I bought, it, it had a JSA sticker on the back for $100 exactly. Okay. Now, um, granted, that was many, many years ago, and it, it is bent in half and it's first name only. Will. Not then, 72, right? Well, for me, it was a 72. Oh, so, okay. so that even just buying a wilt in that price range is, yeah. is going to be tough. A, a 60, oh. A 61, no way. Yeah. <laughs> there's only a few of those out there, but, um, yeah. you know, you know what, you never know, you never know what you're going to find. I actually found a lot. I'm not going to say what it is just yet of, uh, signed vintage cards on eBay this week. That's not labeled as signed vintage cards. Mm -hmm. There's one very tough signature in there that will fit my PC nicely. So hopefully nobody else finds that. So there is some crazy stuff out there. Now, uh, did you have to do some speculative buying for this project? Because I, I don't think, well, no, you hadn't started it when we last actually chatted on the show, right? Um, that's right. I, I think I had a little bit of progress on it, but it wasn't really my focus at the time. But um, I'm a sort of visual designer by day, and uh, I got really into designing these different labels for the players that included little bios about them and the vintage logos for each of the different um, teams that the players played on. So that became a focus of mine for a while. I also had a little side uh, hopeful project that a lot of people can probably resonate with where I slapped some old cards of mine that I was hoping to sell. 
And I think they were with PSA for over six months or maybe eight months before I received them back. By the time I received them back, the value was about a quarter of where they were valued Ooh. when I sent them. So I'm just kind of um, taking the hit on that one. But <laughs> yeah, but, well, and and like you said, you're you're not alone in that. I don't think you're the only person. Actually, I know you're not the only person yeah. that went through that, but um, you know, hopefully that's a reminder to all of us that when when things seem like we can't lose, uh, you know, things will change without notice right. uh, or things will catch up to us a little bit. But anyway, I'm wondering, though, the, the types of cards you were chasing, you said you weren't affected a whole lot by this whole market, the basketball card market. But it does seem like some of that rare and some of that hard to find stuff has surfaced though, since all of this has come, I don't want to say tumbling down because it's not, we're not in a free fall here necessarily, but things have changed. A lot of stuff is surfacing. Have you found that to be the case with the stuff you're looking for, or is it still just as hard to find as ever? It's worked out for me. I think for the lot of, a lot of the sets that I'm chasing down, just having the right keywords set up on eBay is the key and just keeping, keeping an eye on that regularly. Honestly, I've I've been able to find most of the cards that I've been tracking down. Um, not always at a price point that I can afford, but uh, so far so good. Also, if you follow my other big project, Basketballers, uh, the um, the W L E R S, you'll know that I'm all about the 1970s top sets, and uh, I just kind of keep that as my like goofy side project. It's a fun place to just um, not be as serious about collecting, and I think that's important too. So you have been quietly scooping this stuff up like you you've talked about and and it has been out there and it is in your searches and I have a pretty good feeling that a lot of that stuff has made its way into your current project which is what I'd like to devote the majority of our time to today. So you were kind enough to email me a preview of this project a little while ago and you know I enjoyed it. I spent my time on there. I had I you know wanted to tell people about it but I'm like okay this is a preview you know, it's not a finished product. It's not really my project to, you know, release to the world. So I, I have to let it be, even though I was excited about it, but it is live now. And the website's called basketballcardmuseum.com. So I'm going to stop talking here in a moment because I want to hear everything about this project from you, the creator. I want the origin story. I want the creation process. I want to know more about the purpose. Give us all that kind of stuff here. The floor is yours. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. So uh, the goal of my new project, the Basketball Card Museum, is basically to identify every single set of basketball cards in the world through 1990 uh, and then collect an example of them and document them. So um, this started with the typeset that we had discussed the last time I was on the podcast. And at the time, my focus was pretty much just cards within the United States had a couple international cards, but that definitely wasn't the focus. So since then, I decided to open the scope of that a lot. And this ended up taking a ton of research because unlike cards within the U.S., a lot of these international sets are very hard to find information about. But it's my belief that just sort of as the basketball card, uh, excuse me, as the sport of basketball gets kind of increasingly globalized, as we know, I think it's important for the hobby to sort of expand past this very sort of US-centric approach to collecting that is generally accepted. There's some really cool and amazing sets from all around the world uh, that I've been able to track down. Um, at this point, I've actually identified cards from at least 20 different countries uh, spanning five different continents. And I'm sure that more are going to continue to show up, especially as I have conversations like this. 
I also just think it's important to sort of break down this myth that basketball became a globalized sport recently. I know that, you know, we're all used to now some of the top players in the NBA being players like Giannis or Luca. Um, but I think, you know, something that put this in perspective for me is that if you think about why a basketball card exists in the first place, it's a product. And the only reason that a product will exist is if there's an interested market in the first place. So um, what's interesting is that I've been able to track down cards from places like Spain and Argentina and Cuba, uh, sometimes dating as far back as the 1920s and 1930s. And this is long before the NBA even existed. So that just sort of shifted my perspective of how globalized basketball has been. Um, and I hope that it also sort of opens opens some eyes in the, the trading card world. So now tell me about some of these early types of sets, especially because I'm assuming uh, it probably wasn't basketball exclusive. It's probably, you know, stick. I'm, I'm guessing sticker sets. Are you counting those as cards? Sticker sets, probably in football or soccer, however you want to call it, sets, right? Tell me about some of the early stuff you found. Yeah, for sure. So I think... Um one of the biggest challenges with this project was defining some kind of parameters, right? Um, if it's too broad, it just becomes a massive scope and it sort of loses focus. So one of the first things I, I sort of drew the line, I said, anything post 1990 is not really something I'm interested in. Uh, and there's a few reasons for this. One, the sport, I mean, the hobby just got too massive after, after this point. There's tons of major brands and sub-releases every year. Um, also, very conveniently, 1990 marks the 100th year anniversary of the existence of the sport, uh, which was invented in 1891, so bringing us through the end of 1990. And also, just to be honest, like there's already so much documentation about cards since 1990 that I found it more interesting to track down older ones. And then I also said, okay, no team-specific sets, right? Like that's okay. that gets too regional. There's <laughs> just too many of them. Uh, I know that some of them are kind of cool, but it's just like, it's too hard to pick those out. Um, I also had to define so like size parameters. So there's no official definition of what's a poster versus a card. But to me, I I drew the line at six inches by eight inches. I said, anything above that, that's, that's a poster. Like if you hold a six by eight card, that's a huge trading card. And I know there's some things that you know, are controversially listed as trading cards on trading card database that fit, um, you know, 11 by 14 and stuff like that. But that's not really a card to me. But then I had to also think about what is included in, into the collection uh, to your point. So uh, yes, any sticker sets are included as part of this, any multi-sport sets that just happen to include at least one basketball card uh, would be part of this collection. And I think maybe a little bit more controversially, I've included any non-sport sets, which just happen to include a basketball card. So one example of this would be like the Garbage Pail Kids that yeah. um, set from the 1980s. There's actually one uh, card that features a basketball player on there. And of course, it's all gross and weird like the rest of the cards. But I think those are a lot of fun as well. Okay, guys, allow me to interrupt for a moment here to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, one of my favorite websites, uh, and I, I really mean that. And it's also your home for buying, selling, and flipping all of the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 29 million trading cards, from baseball superstars like Aaron Judge to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man. ComC has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. 
So I'm assuming, you know, this, even though you are kind of a, it's a one man project here, it, it hasn't been a one man project because you've had to rely on so many, either other people just talking to them or at least their work that they publish somewhere. Can you tell me some about uh, some of the the places you you've gone to find this stuff and maybe some of the people that you've encountered along the way? Yeah, for sure. So I started with a trading card database, tcdb.com. I feel like that was the closest to a complete sort of resource that I could find online of a a place that had documentation of as many different sets as possible in one place. Uh, But then also I visited some really important, more specialized resources. Vintagebasketball.com is one. Um, They have some really niche, rare old stuff. That's really cool. Um, Also some other more general collecting resources, uh, including pre-war cards and cardboard connection. Those were both really helpful. So, you know, starting with some of the existing databases helped me to find a lot of the cards that should be part of this um, typeset list, as I'm calling it. But, you know, some of the more rare ones that I've come across aren't represented on any of these websites. And it's been really um, a labor of love just trying to track down any information. A lot of times I'm using Google Translate to you know, translate something written in Portuguese into English and trying to understand like a little bit of context about the set. So, um, and some of that's also just been connecting with international collectors, you know, eBay has um, tons of international sellers. And a lot of times the the shipping and handling can cost more than the card, but I think it's worth it when I find something really cool. At this point, I've actually identified 300 different sets that match these criteria that I defined. And so far, I've managed to collect uh, 241 of them, I believe, and hoping that number continues to increase. Yeah, some of that stuff can really be just a a wild chase because I I know one time someone posted a, a sticker on Reddit and they said, hey, this is a, a globe trot. This is a Wilt Chamberlain Globetrotter sticker. And right. um, I I didn't think it was Wilt. I mean, it, it did not look like Wilt to me. And I reached out to that person and, and we started chatting and he basically said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to send this sticker to you because you seem really interested in it anyway. And so I get this thing in the mail and I go on WorthPoint and I find out more about it from there. I find out enough to where I can search a checklist on Google, and then I have to use Google Translate. It's like mm. a, a sticker from you know overseas, and I yeah. still didn't f- figure out who it was. But it's just going to so many different places, and and it definitely it you know that all sprung from just one thread that started on Reddit of someone yep. thinking yep. they had a Wilt Chamberlain sticker. So it's it's <laughs> interesting where some of these things can end up. Now I know you're a designer by trade, so I do want to talk a little bit about kind of the layout of the website. And obviously people can go and, and and we want them to go and look at it for themselves. But I want you to talk about um, your purpose for designing it in the way that you did and kind of how this whole thing is laid out. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. So as you know, from my basketballers account, yeah, like the visual presentation means a lot to me in collecting. I think it's really important to have nice clean images. I also wanted to make sure that I captured both the front and the back of every single different card. A lot of time the back of the card is ignored, but there's all sorts of cool graphics or facts on there. Or in these case of the international cards, there's some that have five different languages represented on a single card. So if you go to the um, page titled The Archive, you're going to see a bunch of filters at the top and that's an opportunity where you can actually you know filter for instance by the region that the card comes from such as south america or europe or you can filter for cards made in different eras so pre-1940 1940s 1950s 1960s 1970s all the way through uh 
1980 up to 1990. So I wanted it to be very interactive and a you know fun just website to explore and click into the details and discover stuff you've never seen. I also have one page dedicated to what I call the tight set checklist. Um, and as from my previous uh, you know podcast with you, we discussed this concept of a tight set, which initially came from the coin collecting world. But the idea is, you know, identifying one example of every different set possible and documenting that. So that's my official typeset checklist right now. Um, it's taken a while to build that out, and I'm always looking to add more to it. If anybody knows any cards that I've uh, that I've missed on there, I'm I'm all ears. So yeah, those are the main buckets on the website for now, and um, looking to expand as I get more cards on there. Now, you mentioned people um, being able to submit their own or, or at least give you information if they have it, um, which I think is excellent because even though we've had a lot of great vintage or, or just you know sports card forums in general, I don't think we've had a great hub for pre-1990 cards. I know like you know there are some good websites yeah. out there. I don't want to uh, downplay what they've done, but a lot of it is, is more baseball-centric or soccer right. oriented, whereas this one is specifically basketball, which of course I love. So, you know, this is your labor of yeah. love, but as with any of labor of love, it, it still takes resources. So let's say someone goes on your site and they like what they see and they want to help move your vision forward. What all can they do to help? Um, yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So there's a few things to do. You know, a database is only as useful as the, the data that's in there. So I definitely want people to contribute to this. One thing is I could definitely use the expertise of more international collectors. Um, I've been able to, from a you know United States IP address and what information I have access to, track down a ton of these sets. But I think that specialized collectors from different regions of the world would probably have access to more information than I do. I'd also love to get people's help filling in some of the blanks. There are a few sets that I have pictures of, but honestly know very little about. And all I have is a hunch of what year they're from and what country they're from, but otherwise they're missing details. So if you see any of those, I often have a call out. Like if you have additional information, please send it my way. If you come across a checklist, for instance, that's always very helpful. Another thing is if there's any missing on that type uh, set checklist or anything that doesn't have a blue link, that means that I've identified that it exists, but I don't yet have one in my collection. So two options in that case. One, if you're looking to sell, uh, you already know from what I said before, I have a limited budget, but uh, I am interested in picking up some additional cards. Or if you're even open to donating a card that could be added to the archive, um, I am definitely open to trying to give call outs as uh, you know, a favor in return. So maybe some kind of sponsorship call out on the homepage or social media call outs or anything I can do to sort of repay the favors. So yeah, looking to continue to add more and um, make it more of a complete collection. Okay. So as we near the end of today's conversation, I want to give you a chance to do something that uh, we didn't do last time. And that's something that's become more of a regular part of the show. And, and maybe we can modify it a little bit for your website here to, to go along with that. But what I normally do is uh, we talk about your three favorite cards in your PC. So if you've got some favorites or or if you've got a way you want to break that down, let's go ahead and uh, talk about some of the cards that you treasure. I do have some favorites for sure. I was thinking about this because I, since I've been working on this basketball card museum, right now I've been categorizing things into these different eras. So I was trying to think of uh, three different sets rather than specific cards from different eras that I really especially loved. Starting with the oldest era and actually the oldest uh, card that I have in my set, the first one I would call out is the 1899 Enameline Paper Dolls. 
um, from a, a brand called Enameline Shoe Polish. Um, these are sort of arguably not basketball cards, but often considered the first true uh, basketball card item from a set. And I think it should be counted, honestly, because there's clearly basketball on it. It's a piece of cardboard. It's about card size. And I think what's just amazingly cool, it's from the 1800s. Like we often think of, you know, the 1948 uh, Bowman set as being like the first basketball set. Well, here's something from 1899. So, you know, solid 50 years beforehand. There's something really special about holding something from that long ago too, to me, just actually just put it, you know, like you said, you like to own the cards that are on your list, but to actually have a relic that survived this long and, and something that, you know, cardboard's a pretty fragile thing and right. some of it has been preserved for that long. So just to think, you know, how it got that way or, or how many people cared for it along the way. And, and now here we are, we still have some of this stuff. That's right. It's really cool. And then moving along, uh, fast forward to 1948, the 1948 Topps Magic Photo set is one of my favorites. People often think of Topps entering the basketball realm in, in the 50s uh, with the famous uh, set with a lot of really valuable rookies in there. But uh, in 1948, they released a multi-sport set and they're tiny little cards. They're like an inch by an inch and a half or something like that. And what's really unique about them is that they self-develop when they're exposed to light. So kind of like a Polaroid picture where it, when you receive it, they were blank and then they would be exposed and the image would show up as you um, expose it to light. So those are really cool. I highly recommend checking those out. Now, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, those had specific colleges listed, right? But it still had a star from that college. Yeah, it has a specific player. Yeah, I know there there were a few guys that I, I've I've come very close to buying one of those. Mm. Oh, those are great. Oh man, and then okay, so there's three other decades I have marked, but if we have to pick one, I'll uh, I'll fast forward to the 1980s and I'll pick a set that's a little more familiar in case I'm losing anybody here. Uh, the 1985 Star Co set. These cards have been in discussion a lot more recently because it's uh, Jordan's rookie card before the Fleer set that is a lot more famous. I have one of the, what I would say is the most underrated cards I've seen, which is it's a, a slam dunk competition uh, checklist card, and it includes the entire set of the slam dunk contest uh, participants all uh, reaching towards the middle of the card and touching a basketball. And in the mix, it's rookie Michael Jordan, it's uh, Dr. J, Dominique Wilkins, and then all these other like legends are on the card, uh, all on a single card that happens to be a Jordan rookie. So highly, I think, undervalued card, in my opinion. It's also oversized, so it really makes a big impact. That one's a lot of fun. All right. Well, we'll have to get some of those posted up on social media so people can see those and get a good idea of what you're talking about here. If they don't already know already, I, I can tell you, you know, I can't uh, quite picture that last one, even though you did a good job of describing it. I'm going to have to go and, and look that one up. So um, Nick, I've really enjoyed chatting with you again. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to give all your social media handles. I know you got several accounts here. And then once again, plug anything you're working on or anything you might be looking for. These next few moments here are yours. I appreciate that. Um, well, obviously, come check out the website. It's uh, basketballcardmuseum.com. I also have an Instagram under Basketball Card Museum if you're on Instagram. We didn't even get to talking about the 50s and 60s and 70s cards. I love some of these sort of sets that popped up in Yugoslavia, for in instance. Uh, that took me down a whole rabbit hole of um, 
watching this documentary on ESPN 30 for 30 titled Once Brothers, uh, mm -hmm. narrated by, by Vlade Divac. Uh, and it talks yeah. about his close friendship with Drazen Petrovic and how they were torn apart by the war in Yugoslavia. Really cool stuff. So check out that website if you're interested in basketball, if you're interested in history, all the above. It's all great. Um, and then, of course, also my uh, fun side project, Basketballers. That's B-A-S-K-E-T. B-A-W-L-E-R-S. That's where I post my uh, 1970s basketball cards with, um, let's say, uh, embellished captions, uh, sort of loosely grounded in truth or uh, at least adding to the myth and lore of, of that era. All right. Well, thanks again, Nick. Right on. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Nick once again for coming on the show. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.